Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. While it's now America's favorite pastime, football was actually on the verge of extinction as soon as the game was developing around the turn of the 20th century. Severe injuries and even death were common in the early days of football as players used little or no protection uh, when they played, and the rules of the game encouraged ruthless play. Many university presidents and other social leaders called for the game's prohibition, and they came really close to getting their way. That is, until President Teddy Roosevelt stepped in. Our guest today has written a book on how TR helped save American football. His name is John Miller, and his book is called The Big Scrum, How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football. Well, John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to have you here. So let's talk about the state of American football at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, this is right when the very beginning of the sport, when it's first developing, um, but right from the get-go, the game had its critics, and there were people actually calling for its elimination. You know, why were so many people? Why did so many people hate football at this time? What was going on? Football was an incredibly violent sport a century ago, a little more than a century ago. We we hear a lot about violence in football today, with concussions and long-term health issues, and so on and so forth. The problems of today are dwarfed by the problems football had in uh, at the turn of the century. In 1905, 18 people died playing football. Wow. Uh, dropped dead from the college level to sandlot games. 18 people died playing football. And then, of course, there were, there were all kinds of injuries on top of that. They had concussions back then, too, broken bones. Uh, it was a really violent game. It was more like rugby than the game we know today. A lot of pushing and shoving and, and big piles of men uh, uh, giving each other elbows and, uh, and so on and so forth. The equipment was different. But it was, it was, it was, a, it was a violent sport. And so it, this, this prohibition movement springs up to outlaw football. It's led by Charles Elliott, who's the president of Harvard University, one of the most important men in the history of higher education. It, when we think of Harvard as a great American university, maybe the great American university, it's really because of this guy who was president of Harvard for 40 years. Apart from anything he did in the classroom and, 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 and with academics and so forth, he hated football. He thought it was a terrible sport. It was a game not fit for gentlemen. Uh, he was joined in this anti-football prohibition effort by uh, The Nation magazine, by muckraking journalists, 
by a number of others who, who, who looked at these casualty figures the, the, and the fact that people were dying playing the sport. They compared it to gladiatorial combat in the Roman amphitheater, and they wanted to outlaw football. Wow. So a lot of these guys were part of the progressive movement, right, at that, yes. that time? So this, this was in many ways uh, uh, an, an early progressive movement cause. Uh, and, and, and we find that it that it, it its impulses are progressive in the sense that it identified what it took to be a social problem, and its solution was simply to outlaw, to ban it, and uh, uh, that's what they tried to do. Huh. So you said that in one year alone, eighteen men died. Uh, but during this time, when football was kind of up in the air, I mean, it was like from the Late eighteen late eighteen hundreds to like nineteen whatever when the final rule changes were made. How many men actually died playing football? Well, it's 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 hard to get a, a, a precise number, but in 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 the back of my book I have a I have a chart and, and I was you know nineteen oh five was eighteen people nineteen oh six it was eleven, so we're, we're seeing we're seeing you know deaths of of a dozen being kind of typical at this time, and and it you know it ranged from 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 Big football programs like Georgia, where there was a very prominent player death in in the late 1800s, uh, to sandlot games played by kids. Um, so the statistics are are we have some we can throw some numbers around, but the bottom line is that the guys were guys were dying playing this game. And what's that compared to like deaths with football today? I mean, well, it still happens today. Yeah, but these are more freak accidents. Types of injuries. You know, there was there was the heat exhaustion death in the NFL a few years ago. Uh, um, you know, I remember when I was uh, younger, Mike Utley from the Detroit Lions had his had his neck broken in a game. It was not a death, but it was a pretty pretty serious injury. Uh, you also have to recognize that, that that today millions and millions of people play football. Uh, back then, it was a popular sport. It was it was becoming extremely popular, but there were very Many fewer players. Yeah. So you you had more people dying and fewer players compared to today, where there's a lot more players. And although there are still freaking injuries, um, uh, it's much less of a problem now. Okay. So uh, football at this time, there was a lot. I mean, it could have been snuffed out. Uh, there's a lot of criticism, a lot of pressure on to pro, you know to prohibit it. And this is when President Theodore Roosevelt steps in. Um, why was Football uh, so important to Roosevelt. I mean, he was president. Why was this such a pressing national concern for him to actually get involved and throw his hat in the arena and try to help it out? Well, that's the story of the book. Roosevelt attends his first football game in 1876. He was an 18-year-old Harvard freshman. He gets on a train in Cambridge with a bunch of his friends. They travel down to New Haven, Connecticut, and they watch the second ever football game played between Harvard and Yale. Uh, this is, of course, one of the great story rivalries in in college athletics. And he he attends the second ever game. It's the first time he's ever seen football, and he likes it. He likes this sport. He's still learning a lot about it. He's actually he suff- he, he he suffers the agony of defeat because Harvard loses that day. <laughs> Everyone thought they were going to win. Uh, everybody thought they were the better team, but but Yale, this this sort of upstart school, beats him that day, and this frustrates Roosevelt. He writes a, a letter to his mother in which he expresses his uh, his frustration. But he likes football. 
he thinks this is a neat sport. He doesn't play it himself because he's too small. He also wears glasses. So he's not, a, he's not fit to play the game himself. He does other things. But, uh, but he enjoys it as a spectator. And he kind of grows up with the sport. In the 1880s, 1890s, a lot of colleges are starting to adopt the game. More and more people are showing up. The Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving Day football game is starting to become a tradition. Tens of thousands of people turning out for big games between Harvard and Yale or Yale and Princeton or, or, or what have you. And, and Roosevelt is just, just a part of this trend. He loves the sport. He also knows that it, it has a problem with violence, but he says, he says we need to recognize that rough sports are good. They're good for boys. They help turn boys into men. In fact, he believes in rough sports and, and football so much that when he goes off to recruit the Rough Riders in 1898, he, he, he leaves Washington, D.C., goes out to San Antonio, and we know the story where he, mm-hmm. where he recruits cowboys and westerners and so forth to become the Rough Riders, and, and he does that. But if you read his memoir on that period, just book simply entitled The Rough Riders, he also points out that he's looking for football players. And he, in fact, recruits a number of them to become Rough Riders with him, and they go in, in, into Cuba and, and have, their, have their great moment of victory there. Roosevelt becomes a war hero. He's elected governor of New York as a result, and he gives a speech on the strenuous life, maybe the most famous speech he ever delivered uh, in his life, the strenuous life in which he says it's important to, to, to lead a vigorous life, an active life. It's, it's good for people, but more important, it's good for America if it's made up of men who lead strenuous lives, who don't shirk responsibility, who embrace challenges and lead a strenuous life. This is a very famous speech he gives. He delivers it in Chicago. He then takes his speech and he translates it for children in a children's magazine called called St. Nicholas. It's a very popular children's magazine at the time, uh, widely read. And in in uh, in that in that magazine, when he's when he's giving the kids' version of the strenuous life, he tells boys he says go go play football. He says it'll help make you great men. It'll help you make make you great Americans. So he's a he's a true believer in football. He likes it as a as a fan. He thinks it's good for America because it turns boys into, into, into men and it turns them into good men who can fight wars, who can defend their country and make America great. Well, when he's president, the problem of violence in football continues, and this movement to ban it gains some momentum. So in 1905, he summons to the White House the three coaches from the biggest football programs in America at that point, uh, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. The coach of Yale was Walter Camp, the legendary Walter Camp, who was the, the sort of the founding father of football, the, the Abner Doubleday of the game in some ways. Um, uh, so Walter Camp is at this White House meeting. The other coaches are there as well. And, and Roosevelt says, football is on trial. And he says to these coaches, you guys need to do something to save it. He doesn't tell them exactly what to do. But they leave the White House. They agree that they're going to try something or other. They weren't entirely sure what. The season continues. This meeting was in October of 1905. They, they finish out the season. That winter, they create the organization that becomes the NCAA. And they pass a series of rule changes, the most important of which is the forward pass. Up to that point, quarterbacks couldn't throw the ball downfield. 
to receivers. That was an illegal play. You could you could toss it laterally backwards to a, to a running back, but you could not throw it down the field. There was no such thing as a wide receiver. Well, this changed the game. It transformed it. It it, it transformed it from a sport that 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 looked like rugby into the modern game that Americans know and love today. And there was Roosevelt at the center of it, making it possible. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. And now back to the show. Hmm. And were any equipment changes did that did that start taking place around this time as well? Because before they really didn't wear; they just like wore bandanas on their head and maybe some leather. That's right. Yeah. I mean, did they the, start? The, the 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 era of the leather heads was a little bit in the future, but this was a transitional period. And and football originally nobody wore any kind of protection. Then you started getting players who would grow their hair extra long because it was a little bit extra padding or they would do you know little things to their jerseys and 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 you know one 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 team had had a, had a, had its players so um handled from from suitcases onto onto their jerseys so they could grab each other and pull each other forward through lines I mean they, there were all these innovations and and there was actually a little little while where 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 Spalding the uh uh, the equipment company started making nose guards. They were kind of like shoehorns on your nose. That's sort of ridiculous. And there's a there's there's a picture of one of these in the, in, in the book, um, and and sort of face mask and helmet. But but there was there was a there was a bit of a stigma attached to players who would put on these things. Right? They were they they weren't man enough yeah. to to play without without this equipment. But but over time, this became more and more accepted and, and, and pads were introduced. But, but in the era we're talking about, we're moving from basically no equipment, no gear, no protection to, uh, to, to modest forms of it. And uh, 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 over time, their football players began to look like the, the, the players we see on TV today. Hmm. Something I thought was really interesting, too, was that Roosevelt wasn't the only U.S. president that kind of had a hand in helping football along. Uh, the other one was Woodrow Wilson, which was kind of surprising because, you know, when we a lot of people, when they think of Woodrow Wilson, they kind of think of him as this pencil-pushing nerd, uh, kind of pacifist, right? Um, but he, he, liked, he was a fan of the game as well. Um, exactly. I was really surprised to learn that. When I started working on this book, I knew that Roosevelt would be at the center of it, a great advocate of football, that I knew he'd be the main character of the book, and I, I knew the contours of the story that I was going to tell. But as I did my research, 
I discovered that Woodrow Wilson was a huge football fan. He went to Princeton, as we know, uh, a school that had a had a, a vigorous football program and an ambitious football program. It wanted to be the best in the country. And as people criticized football, there was Woodrow Wilson in the 1870s writing editorials in the student newspaper about why football was great. And 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 this was actually a major – he didn't just write one editorial. He wrote a bunch of them defending football from its critics. And he continued to do that. He graduated from Princeton. He became a professor. And when he went to different schools, he was he was affiliated with with the football club. He would he would uh, help out the team. He'd show up at the games. He'd cheer for them. Uh, he, he eventually, when he went back to Prince as a professor, and and, and we know what came of him, um, he, he began to disengage from that a little bit just because he was getting so busy. But he was a he was a public defender of football. He would engage in in debates in front of city clubs and they you know they they would have groups would have debates and you know is, is football too violent should it be banned and 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 Wilson would show up and he would he would he would argue no it's a great sport and we need it but you're right it's it's it, it plays against type this is this is not what you would expect of of the Woodrow Wilson we know of primarily from his presidency yeah. I thought it was interesting too that it took the you know two i guess big progressive leaders of the time Roosevelt and Wilson they're the ones who were defending football from the other progressives, really. That's right. Now Wilson was not as directly involved in, in the sports yeah. uh, salvation. He was a he was a fan of it, and and you know he he, he did cheerlead and he, he engaged in debates. It was it was Roosevelt who really played played the key role here. And say what you will about Roosevelt's politics, we can have a long debate about that and, and his progressivism and so forth. The, the the Roosevelt who defends and, 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 and football is 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 this great manly character, this this red blooded American, and you can just you know it, it's everything we love about Roosevelt. Uh, his praise of rough sports, his belief in outdoor life, the vigor of life, the need to lead a strenuous life. It's it's completely consistent with. Um, with his beliefs. Yeah. So let's fast forward to today. hundred years later, it seems like it's deja vu. Um, we're having the same conversation about football, whether it's too dangerous and if we need to make changes to the rules. Um, both This happened both in the NFL and in the NCAA. And what do you think after doing writing this book and kind of getting um, acquainted with Roosevelt and his view of football, how do you think... T- TR, what what would you think TR would think of this conversation we're having about football today? He would think, for one thing, it's got nothing on the controversy he was dealing with. Uh, football's problem today is nothing like the problem it was a hundred years ago. Um, you know, football has a problem, I suppose, with con- concussions and, and and so forth, and 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 there may be some, there may be a debate worth having about this. But but he would he would fundamentally say. Football's a rough sport, and we cannot eliminate all risk from our lives. And that, and that it is the risk that you take in playing the sport that is an essential part of what it is, and, and we cannot ever lose sight of that. Um, we can never make it totally 100% safe for everybody who plays. And this is just a part of living. 
It's true when you walk across the street. You can't be completely guaranteed of your safety when you walk across the street, but yet we need to do that from time to time in our lives. And, and football teaches great things to kids. Uh, all sports do, really. Um, it teaches them teamwork. It teaches them uh, uh, how, how, how to put up with adversity. It teaches them how to deal with defeat. It teaches them all kinds of things. In fact, we know things today that, that Roosevelt didn't know back then. Modern research teaches us that kids who play sports in high school earn more as adults. They're more likely to vote as citizens later on in life. There are a series of benefits that social scientists can track back to participation in sports. When, 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 as a parent, when we talk, you know, I have, I have kids who play a bunch of different sports, and when we talk about why do we have them do it, I often say that, you know, the, the reasons are easy. Well, there's physical fitness. That's good for them. We also talk about these intangible characteristics. You know, we think it makes them better people. They learn about teamwork. They learn all kinds of – sports teaches them all kinds of things that they can't learn in a book. And here's the evidence that actually there is a payoff later on. You earn more money as an adult. Why is that? Because maybe they're maybe maybe they learn how to compete. And in America, it's important to learn how to compete. I don't know. I don't know what the reasons are, but but we have we have data that actually suggests this is this is good for kids. And Roosevelt knew that intuitively, as the way I think we all kind of know intuitively that sports can be can be great for kids and it teaches life lessons. All right. Well, John, yeah, we're at the end of our our time, but thank you very much. It's really fascinating. Um, John's book is called The Big Scrum. How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football, and I'm guessing this is going to be available April 12th? It is available April 12th everywhere. Everywhere. So go out and get it. Well, John, thanks again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next time, stay manly. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.